I'm Maggie Campbell, and this is Half Pint Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Half Pint Podcast. I'm really excited to have Beck Saron on today as we talk about what their experience is like being a sober distiller. This was a really great conversation. We actually ended up talking for quite a bit before and after we recorded and you know, I just really appreciate them bringing their time and their voice here. And, you know, the podcast was inspired by a question from another one of my peers. Uh, so I hope you enjoy what we got into um, and everything that was shared in this space. So cheers. Enjoy. Thank you. Hey, guys, as I mentioned last time, I am pairing up with Dalkita and doing a little mini course called Working Well with PR. You know, oftentimes small, independently held spirits brands, spirits producers, or spirits companies can't always necessarily afford or need a full PR service, or they're new to working with PR or a PR firm. And so we kind of cover some of the etiquette, some of the assets some of the things that are really key for you to successfully navigate, not only doing your own PR and getting your own story told to the right authors, to the right publications in the right way that's most effective for you, but also if you do wanna work with a small PR firm um, that focuses on independently held or craft spirits companies, how you can make that relationship really valuable and make the most of it. We cover some common sense stuff as well as some more detailed strategies as well as some of your more personal needs. There will be two separate one-hour sessions where I work with you on one-on-one throughout the course to help develop what it is you need to run your own PR or work well with a small PR firm. So if you want to check that out, go to dalkita.com, D-A-L-K-I-T-A.com. I'm really excited to be working with Dalkita for folks in the business. You'll recognize them as an architecture and construction firm who builds distilleries. They also do a lot of really great safety program. I know I attended their Sombrero of Death program, and it taught me so much about alcohol vapor and spark safety. So I'm glad that we're working together to supply some different type of resources to distillers as well. So check it out, dalkita.com. If you check out their courses section, it will be right there for you. Cheers. Hey guys, I just want to give a quick content warning for this episode. There is going to be discussion of addiction, alcohol addiction, and narcotics use. So if any of those issues are triggering for you personally, I want to give you a heads up that those are discussed uh, pretty frankly in this episode. Also, if you are struggling with your use of alcohol, I really encourage you to reach out and find a supportive system in your area. You can reach out to your medical doctor, local organizations, or other friends who might be sober in the industry or just in your community. I personally have a number of very close friends who are sober, and you know, there are plenty of sober bartenders and even other sober distillers. In fact, as soon as we finished recording this episode, a peer reached out who was applying to their first job after having been over a year sober. 
And I got to connect Beck with this other distiller. So, you know, there are people all around us in the industry who are navigating these waters and navigating them well. And sometimes it's hard. Um, but know that if you are struggling and you need support, please reach out and get help. And even if you think you don't have a problem, it's really good to know what your local resources are. That way, should you ever have a moment or have a struggle, it's very easy for you to navigate that path. As much as you can reduce the friction along the path to your health, the easier it can be if you have a moment where you realize you need some help. So trigger warning again, content warning again for discussion of addiction, alcohol addiction, and narcotics use. Thank you guys for joining us today for this very different episode. And, you know, I really welcome all of your feedback. This is, you know, one person being willing to be vulnerable and share their experience. It doesn't speak for everyone, but I'm hoping that it can raise some awareness of the fact that there are sober people thriving in our industry along with us. Cheers. Hey, Beck, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited for our conversation, just chatting with you offline. Like, I'm so excited for some of the topics we're going to cover and some of the stuff we're going to chat about. But for folks who might not be familiar with you and your work, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, not at all. I, uh, my name is Beck, uh, last name Cerrone. I make whiskey and gin in Salida, Colorado. I've been making whiskey and gin and I guess I should say vodka and elderflower liqueur, but um, for about six, seven years total. Um, yeah, that's that's who I am, real life, that's it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I always like to, you know, talk to people about how we met, but you and I actually haven't met, not in real life yet. Uh, we, you know, crossed each other, I think, online in the distillers community somehow. Um, you know, one of the people that you work with right now, I work with on, you know, the American Craft Spirits Association. So we're always sort of in each other's eye lines. Um, but you kind of, right now you're like sort of, is it like a sleepy snowy mountain town type situation you have? Uh, currently, yes. Actually, it's snowing right now. Uh, it's super chill. Um, you know, making whiskey at 8,000 feet can have its perks. Uh, I, I'd say come June or July, it's one of our busiest times of year since we have a huge river uh, commune. I'm not sure. <laughs> There's a lot of ri river folks. There's a lot of uh, bicycling to be had. We got four, we're surrounded by 14ers. Um, it's basically Pleasantville surrounded by all the wonderful nature thing, na most nature's things you can think of. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the person I know you through PT, uh, we always joke that his initials stand for part-timer because he's always, you know, out there kind of like, yeah, snowboarding or hiking or whitewater oh. rafting or whatever. I'm like, you have time to run a distillery also? <laughs> Well, yeah, so P.T. Wood is my boss. Um, he's also the mayor of the town. That's right, um, Mr. Mayor. Oh, I love to yeah. <laughs> If I don't tell you, he will. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's great. Like prior to working for Woods Distillery, I, um, I was making bourbon for the first time out west in Cedar Edge, Colorado. And uh, it was my first year ever experiencing 
the distillery life. I quickly got into uh, distilling. Within a month, I learned like the mechanics between mash runs to distillations to barreling, you name it. So I got I got into that really quick, and then I realized I we I could do this somewhere else where you know, where I could possibly be happier. <laughs> I, I um, you know, it was a, it was a swing shift type job. Um, it was super busy. Um, I was the only one there, which is why I had to learn my job really quick. Um, but then I realized there are different ways to make alcohol and there's also uh, more integrity to be had within it and art, everything that can go into it. Um, so long story short, I, <laughs> I was Googling uh, badass whiskey in Colorado, and um, I don't know if it was location-based, but Woods Distillery popped up first, like closest to me, and so I called PT uh, just one day and just told him what I could do and if he was hiring, and he was super laid back. He was just like, yeah, let's just take a tour sometime and we'll chat, and I, I took that as the okay to put in my last month's rent, just go, just like just get get over that mountain and head to Salida. And within that first day that I showed up, I met him and he was making gin. And uh, he was like, yeah, let's go for lunch. And we went for lunch and just hung out. Like there, there was no like official <laughs> scary interview at the table. It was just like, what's up? What do you do? Like, this is a laid back town, blah, blah. And uh, he was like, yeah, show up, show up whenever you want and we'll get started. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And yeah, he trusted me just to kind of like take the reins and get like deep into the mash runs and distillations and just keep doing what I like knew, you know? And um, yeah, there, I, I find Woods Distillery compared to some other distilleries. I mean, a lot of distilleries are popping up like this, but definitely more um, laid back and artsy and honest with their spirits. And, you know, a lot of hard work is put into it, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I ramble. That's a, I'm like, you're such a badass, like just finding PT. So he's kind of like, you know, a veteran been on the board of the ACSA, like right. been in the, the leadership there for a long time. Like, kind of like wins all sorts of awards uh and you're just like oh yeah <laughs> you like took the gamble you're like I'm just gonna do it I'm just gonna go and it's gonna work out and true to PT's magic it totally did <laughs> <laughs> it did uh Salad is a great town like every day that I was here I just fell more in love with it I was just so glad plus where I was making bourbon I there wasn't a lot of people um everyone was like an ex-miner or they worked on farms and no one even knew where the distillery was. So I was very much alone in this community. So when I came to Salida, it was super busy comparatively. And um, it, it's just really fun. It's just like a really cool town to be in. So uh, yeah, yeah. I love that. That's so cool. Um, yeah. And yeah, like, I think it's great that, you know, you could bring your skills there. And that's so like, he's lucky too. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah we, like, don't, we don't talk about that much but I think since I'm still there I think um I think I think so I think he appreciates me yeah oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah he gets it he's uh, <laughs> he seems like someone who like wouldn't suffer you know if he didn't love something he wouldn't be doing it so I, I think right. he gets it too right 
Um, totally, yeah. That's something I love about him. You know exactly where you stand with him. He's clear as clear as day. So. Oh, absolutely. If anything, <laughs> I, I got to get right to the point. Like um, he's helping me become more just like think less and do more. Like, but put thought into it, of course. But like, I overthink everything. So when I like begin to even ask him a, a question about a process in the distillation, I I overthink it, and then so my question is just like a million words per minute. <laughs> so he's helping me simplify things. And uh, one of his favorite lines is, you know, it's, uh, it's whiskey, not NASCAR. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. It's probably a perfect combo. It's probably a perfect combo where you're like getting really into the nitty gritty and he's like, let's just flow, man. Just uh. step back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it's really nice to have that. I, I overthink everything, but it could be my worst and best enemy. Who knows? Yeah, like, it's, it's like one of those things that makes you a great distiller and also, yeah, tempering it to, to be <laughs> yeah. human and live, live is hard where it's like, it's really good to always be kind of mentally considering everything that's going on and like, especially like safety and all the elements and this, but also like the mental load in your brain can carry yeah. so much in one moment. It's like, exactly. oh, if someone asks me like, so why did you make that cut? I'm like, oh God. Like I can, Where do I, begin? I can hear the filing system, like flipping in my brain, like flip, 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 like which file do I pull out of like the time, the temperature, the weather, the style, the aging, the fermentation, like how do I explain? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's hard, honestly. but it's, it's good that he's coaching you to be like, you know, it's, you want to have that soft focus all the time. Cause it is yes. like 10 hour days. Like you got to be able to hold it with loose hands and, and bring it all together. <laughs> I always uh, yell in the distillery. I'm like, do less, do less. Well, you got to do something, but do less. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, freaking out. <laughs> um, yeah. Like giving tours also um, is like a, like a prime time to, um, explore doing less like like trying to explain uh the process to folks that come in i mean you can kind of get a feel for if they want to know everything or not but it's really a test for me personally to really just like simplify things you know don't freak them out if you see their eyes start to glaze over because you're starting to talk about like sour fermentations versus not sour they're like oh my god so so <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, yep. <laughs> and we're all there. Literally, Jamaican Rum Fest is coming up, and this morning, a friend from Jamaica was texting me and like, "Okay, I have to give a seminar to a really general audience. How do I explain this? How how do you explain this to people? Like, what do you do?" And like, like you and I, we both we talk to kind of everyday people a lot. Like, I do a lot of online seminars and sessions, yeah. and so I'm really used to doing the translation. And I'm like, "Okay, this is how you make it simple." So I love that you built that in. Like, what is the essential thing I need right. to communicate here? What's essential? Yeah, I love that. So kind of on the same sub subject of uh, like meeting you and, you know, talking about what we're talking about now. Uh, I'm like a huge fan of you. Like, I, <laughs> I, I so like, how do I say this while being friendly? I, I am. And so when I listen to your podcast or I hear or I uh, watch your live videos with other distilleries, you're very in depth of the process, um, you know, how to, with the science involved and everything involved, but you make it sound so casual. Like it's so, 
it's so easy Aww. for you. So, like, so I'm like, sweet. I'm like taking notes on this casual conversation, like, oh my gosh, like, you know, barreling science, all these things, like even just your Q&A uh, live videos of people asking questions, you somehow get to all the questions and like, you give them a really intense reply while making it sound very simple. So it's really, it's admiring. Like, I want to be like that. You know, I want to be very chemically inclined with my knowledge and of the process uh, while also being laid back. So it's like, I'm learning from people like you who are like, science nerds I don't know <laughs> like, I love I that know. you like, say that I love that you say that because the secret of that success is that I I have hardly any like hardcore chemistry training so like really part, part of the reason I can explain it in such lay terms is I think the so I I minored in psych like I'm short one stats class of my psych degree but my degrees in philosophy like as far as hard science I took the required biology course <laughs> in college and like another one on like hormone and human behavior endocrinology and like that's it I've oh, never cool. taken chemistry beyond like first semester high school chemistry okay, okay. so I, and so it's like everything I've learned I've learned in specialized distillation environments, whether it's Siebel Institute, WSET, or alcohol school that I went to in Jamaica. Um, and so, Whoa, I've so had you are to, educated. <laughs> but I, I like jumped into those classes without the chemistry background. So as I'm like right. piecing it together, I'm explaining it to myself in like layman's terms. So then hopefully when I'm translating it back out, I'm like, so this is how like sophomore year of college Maggie could have understood this if I could, <laughs> because at the time I was just like, whatever, like not, not in it for college chemistry. So um, I think people are always surprised that like, I have, I have certifications in science and chemistry, but only industry specific. I don't have anything else. So I hope I can explain it in a way that like I could have understood it before like I had yeah. learned all that stuff. So that means a lot that you said that, but literally it just comes from one of my bigger weaknesses. Like people ask me right. all the time, like, what's your degree in? And I'm like, oh, philosophy. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is great. <laughs> There's a lot to be had there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm so lucky I got to go to school. Like I am one of those people who wasn't as interested in going to college, but totally had the opportunity and kind of was pushed to, which is such a huge privilege right so it's sort yeah. of like as much as I tease I'm very lucky to have had it because I know how it goes when you're like job hunting and like you don't really need a degree to be in our field but obviously people carry certain perceptions with them around it so uh, tell me about uh, it for oh, sure right well, I'm I'm super uh that is awesome that you have you do have an education with it and you're able to not simplify it, but put it in a terms that um, like folks like me or anyone else might be able to understand Aww. it better because it does make sense when you explain it. And it, you know, when you explain it that way, it, it's not that you're like hiding the in-depth details or anything. It just makes sense. Um, I always say science makes sense. So I, <laughs> I had like zero education. I, I um, barely graduated high school. Um, I like went to an alternative high school uh, long story short, uh, I've been in survival mode my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> um, so, so like my 
my my resume would be like super long because of all the jobs I've had, everything I've had to gain uh, just to survive and live in a house, you know, even just, you know, it, it's it, it's been tough in the beginning. Uh, it was tough in the beginning. And so again, long story short, I like to think that I am okay at what I do because I've taught myself to work hard and just learn everything that I can because of the lack of education, maybe? I don't know. I, it makes I, you like, like, I feel like, I feel like so much of school is part, part of it. I mean, it is an opportunity to enjoy it. And I find that like a lot of the oh, yeah. people I know who are like from like underrepresented communities, be it queer, be it like black women, be it whichever cohort it is, they the tend to approach tenure, you. Yeah. yeah. They tend to approach <laughs> university as this really enriching experience, but being like a middle-class white woman, right? Like the people at school who are in my cohort treat it very much as like, just give me the piece of paper. that says, I know I do the thing. And I feel like, unfortunately, yeah. that narrative in school becomes like, just give me a piece of paper that shows like, I know how to turn stuff in and I've been socialized and like, I, I know how to play the game. And like, yeah. and I feel like for me, I once had an applicant who had been going to community college for about six years and just mm-hmm. learning little by little, like you could just tell that they were like, working at a couple restaurants to get themselves through school. And like that to me, I was like, this is the best candidate we have because they are going to yeah. like stick with it, work really hard They're They know that things take time to succeed at, but like they're clearly really invested in making this happen for themselves. And it's been a long journey, you know, and I, oh, yeah. I like that to me is like communicate so much more than like, I have all this stuff. Um, right. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's so, it, I think that having not, necessarily gone through those same systems means your brain can think so freely because it hasn't gone through that socialization of here is the deadline turn in the paper think this way follow the powerpoint like you'll probably see more creative answers than I could you know like it gives you that freedom of thought and freedom of problem solving that real world like on the ground reality so my husband he grew up a little rough and tumble you know housing insecure food insecure you know stuff like that And he didn't go to school until his thirties. And he was like working in, you know, a shop, uh, paying his own way through school on student loans. And like his approach to like solving problems or thinking through stuff, it's so original, it's so different. And then even the way he approached and enjoyed school was so different than my experience. And I totally see the assets in that, but the bias is so stupid that people want to see these silly things on a piece of paper, but it doesn't oh, tell yeah. them how you thought things through or how you got where you are. Yeah, totally. I mean, so I, uh, at one, one point in my life, I lived in Fort Collins, Colorado. It was super busy. Um, I just somehow ended up there. Maybe there was a couch I could stay on, but I eventually got from couch to my own apartment really quick. I was working at three different subways at the same time. Um, so it was like a 4 a.m. to 9 p.m. gig. I was doing a lot of the hiring and firing and managing and just like, because I, so I wasn't in college. uh, So they were able to trust that I could just take on that role. And uh, so I learned a lot of management skills during that time, even though Subway, I learned a lot of crazy economical things. I worked at a grocery store and ended up like getting myself to a manager during high school. And did I learn (laughs) so much that I use today? 
exactly that, like, makes me Thank better you. at business than so many people who've just like have have money etc like yeah no. no and subways let me tell you i know many a sandwich artist and i am <laughs> like why do they continue the lie to their employees that the olives are really expensive and precious like this is a thing that shows up like Oh, I learned all of the, uh, <laughs> I learned everything about Subway. I don't know what I can say or cannot say. But, well, okay. Um... Okay. But yeah, so I know many a sandwich artist and there's like you said, I'm sure you learned so much about like managing expectations and managing people and conflict <laughs> resolution and making things work. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, that being, I did work right downtown Fort Collins where there's like a huge a co a college campus and everyone I worked with went to college. Um, I found that the ones that weren't really in college as much or even at all, uh, especially those who needed to pay for their own really expensive apartment, uh, worked, 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 worked really hard. I mean, they were the ones, whoever was paying rent were the ones I could usually depend on. I, I couldn't count how many college kids came and left. You know, of course, school is very important and why not just make sandwiches when you're in and out? But the hardest workers, definitely the most dedicated, the ones that didn't quit on me were the ones who were paying their own rent or, you know, yeah. um, and, and that's not to say all college kids are like that at all. I was just saying like- I know what you um, mean. I, I totally yeah. <laughs> know what you mean where it's like, they know the stakes in a real yeah. way that like- And there were college kids- In a real who, way, yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, there were some who needed, um, you know, just to pay off their books, you know, so they were working hard and they were tired and I could see that. And it was just like, wow, like it was a really busy, crazy experience. Um, and I also started drinking a lot then I turned 21 in this period. So, <laughs> so in Fort Collins, it's a huge, uh, libation town, you know, Oh yeah. Big, uh, Colorado in general, like <laughs> yeah. I, I lived there for a long stretch of time. And I remember, so I grew up in LA and I, you know, was living in Denver and I went back to LA to visit friends. And I remember being like, Oh, well, I'll just like walk down the street till I find a bar. And I walked for like three blocks and I was like, yeah. why have I not found a bar? Like people don't yeah. understand like drinking is like, there's a lot more of it in certain parts and especially Colorado, but especially what I call Foco Noco. Like yeah. Fort Collins, there's a lot of Fort Fun, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, the... Land of the tiniest bar in town. Yeah. I forgot <laughs> I forgot what it's called, but I, a friend of mine used to work there. But yeah, the smallest bar you could ever imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. the name of that. But so yeah, you started so drinking. I... And one of the reasons I really, sorry, what were you going to say? Totally oh no, remember. you're on the same path as me. I was about to bring that up. So you, yeah. you, you keep doing you. Yeah. Okay. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the podcast is like, I, like I, we see each other's spaces on Instagram and I like side note, and we can totally come back to this. I love a lot of what you post about self-development, personal passion, like you're so much more than just distilling. Um, but also you are sober and you speak very frankly and very honestly about your experience as a sober distiller. And a woman I mentor, I have a phone call with her every week. She called me up and was like, hey, I'm just beginning to really think about like, you know, one of my friends kind of became sober and it made me wonder and question like, what's my role in the alcohol industry with addiction? And, you know, I talked a lot about how, you know, two of my closest and oldest friends are sober and other people in my life are sober and not everyone should be drinking alcohol. Like if you drink it and enjoy it, great. And if you don't, it's not for you. And it's all about how you like, approach it and I mentioned I was like I even know a few people who work in the industry who are sober and she was like oh wow how does that work and I was like 
knowing sober people, I'm like pretty easily, but I was like, you know what, this isn't something other people really know. So I was mm -hmm. really glad when you agreed um, to come on the show and that we could talk a little bit about your experience as a sober distiller. Yeah, um, well, I'd say, you know, people will keep a date on this, but I'm almost two years sober. Um, I think it was like April 20th when I decided, geez, I really need to stop drinking. Congrats. Um, but I think it took me like a couple weeks or a month to realize that I really don't want it going down into my belly at all. So I don't know. I don't really keep a time on it. There's too much pressure with that. But I do know people need that. Um, they need that day. They, every day counts. Every day is severe. Every minute is severe to them. So uh, I guess I'm almost two years. So um, yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've struggled with addiction before, um, long story short, again, with the whole having to survive my whole life, there just was a time when I was consuming narcotics and drinking and just smoking and doing whatever you can think of anything you can think of. If you could give it to me, I probably would have done it. Um, except for heroin and meth. Sorry, trigger warning. <laughs> I would never do that, but uh, I will. I will put a CW before the episode <laughs> begins on the intro, so feel free to talk freely. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Right on. Um, cool. Trigger warning is like my should be my title. Um, <laughs> Which is why I love you because you are just so yourself. It's one of my <laughs> like. Yeah. Anyway, so so um, yeah. So nar narcotics is nothing to be messed with, despite people being prescribed it every day for pain management. Um, it was easily it's easily accessible because of that. So I got really into that, and then I was young. I was fourteen, and so I'd say by the time I was fifteen, I I quit cold turkey, and luckily my young body took very well to it. It took me two weeks. You know, it was like the worst withdrawals I've ever had. Um, so at the time I thought, wow, you know, I'll never become addicted to anything else ever again. But little do I know, did I know about genetics at the time? And also uh, just, I just, I think I have the too much gene. Um, I just am a natural addict. And some people, I believe there's a whole science behind it. I don't know enough about it yet. Like there's like a whole brain chemistry, you know, stuff involved with it, but I definitely am an addict and I just know that in order for me to stay clear of any um, psychoactives or anything that can alter your state of mind is just to stay away from it 100% because I just, I just do everything too much. Like I even run too much. Like, like if you You're get like, me going. I got really into grilled cheeses. We're doing grilled cheese and we're going to do it right yeah. for the next two months. No, I, I. I definitely grew up around certain addicts and I, it's, it's <laughs> like that whole one thing for another. And sometimes it's all things at once. Like it's, it's very yep. varied, but I've certainly yeah. seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I struggle with my limitations, but I think now I don't now that I'm aware, but so, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I turning 21 in Fort Collins being around it. I mean, it's so, it, we're, it's just everywhere. Um, and, you know, now yeah. that I work in it <laughs> and, you know, my life has been a struggle just trying to get to where I'm at today, career wise, just all hundred percent self gain and convincing and working hard, you know, like, of course I'm going to drink, you know, there, there, there were so many reasons why I drank, um, 
you know, I don't want to get into the details, but yeah, like eventually in time, you know, even after six years of distilling seven total, I guess, I just like, I was surrounded by it. Some of my bestest friends were bartenders, um, you know, uh, it's just like what you do at the, at the end of a day. Um, I it's so normalized. It it's, it, it, yeah. And yeah. it's so normal. And I, again, I always, even when I was drinking too much, I always advocated for, uh, moderation, drink in moderation. I always said taste, not waste. Um, despite being like drunk when I said that, um, I, uh, <laughs> like I had a good, I had, I, I have, I have a good head on my shoulders, but when I was drinking, I like, it was there. Like I was still me somewhere deep within that addiction. So I wanted to see people do good. I wanted to be good myself. And you um, can know all the things and, and, right. and know them almost better than other people because you think it will help you maintain. Yeah. But like, most end, addicts don't want yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Most in addicts end, don't want to be at. Can. Yeah. In the end, yeah. some people can. In the end, some people can't. And like, so you learn all the like, well, this is how I could maintain it. But even if it's not working. Yeah. It just, yeah. Like it wasn't working. Like yeah. it's just the not in me to trust myself to just even have one drink. And that's just that there are some people who can't drink. And um, there are some who can have one and be done. And that's great. Um, at first I kind of resented them, but then I realized like, it's totally normal that that happens. Everybody's super unique in themselves. We're not all the same. So, um, yeah, like I just, I remember texting my boss. I was pushed by my partner to text my boss. I, I, I normally have two days off a week, but the day I decided to quit, I, I really had to quit. And I had to be a hundred percent honest the whole way through. Like I couldn't just sugarcoat it and I almost wasn't allowed to, which is good. I needed help. So yeah. luckily I was pushed to text my boss and just say, Hey, I just need an extra day off. Uh, you know, I just can't be around alcohol. And he was just cool with it. He's like, okay, like I didn't get in trouble or nothing. There was no like, well, if you can't be around it, then you can't work here. I was so worried about that. I was worried yeah. about um, you know, that happening. And so uh, I was lucky. I was like, oh, okay. Once again, laid back. I should have known. <laughs> I should have known everything's fine. Um, and so, yeah, of course, this first three days, like I had, I had pretty big withdrawal. I, I mean, I got to the point where I was drinking every three hours and had to wake up to do it. Like I surrounded myself with it. Um, so, and somehow I was still functional, uh, during the day, but I always said when the sun went down, I went down, like it was bad. So, um, I'd say it took about a week for me to get back to it with my head and not be going through withdrawal. And I went right back to work and honestly, work wasn't like a huge trigger. It was just work. Like the smells right. aren't like the smells totally hit people when they come in for the first time, you know, that like big whiff of fermentation or distillation like for me I don't like I smell it but it doesn't hit me like that I I'm totally used to it so I never got like oh my god there it is like what do I do yeah. um I'd say it took a couple weeks or a month for me to um be like testing out the new batch of gin that was coming out of the distillate or um you know harvesting whiskey and testing that and being like okay, if I put too much down my throat, it gives me anxiety. And I think it's okay for me to just spit it out if I feel like there's too much in my mouth. Totally. And just, and just not drink it. Like, 
I had like I went a month, you know, I just set really small dates for myself, you know, a week, two weeks, and then I went to a month and I went up to a really good friend of mine. Uh, we we call it taco. But uh, Stevana, she was the bartender, and um, we look a lot alike. We, everyone always calls us twins. Um, <laughs> anyways, but despite actually having a twin myself, I have a real twin. She was my third twin, I guess. But I, love uh, that. <laughs> I, I like she's helped me through a lot. And I went to her and I was like, Yeah, I went 30 days. I'm still not drinking. She's like, Why don't you just keep doing it? And I was just like, Yeah. Like that was like my first validation I got from a friend outside of my family that, you know, worked in the industry that was like just keep doing it and I was like yeah I think I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be sober I'm gonna I'm gonna confuse a lot of people by saying I'm a sober distiller I don't know if it's gonna <laughs> work out well or not but I'm just not gonna drink like what what why why can't I make alcohol and not drink so yeah um, absolutely and you absolutely can <laughs> um yeah, sorry. I just I'll just keep going. I love it. I love it. It's funny. I was just talking to someone I know who's, you know, like being, you know, myself as a cis woman in the industry, talking to another cis woman about, you know, having children and like, yeah, there's no reason why you can't like have children and also keep your career in alcohol. Like it's the same thing as being a sober distiller. Like you just you can spit, you can just smell, you can interact in a way that is healthy for you. Um, that you and your doctor or your medical team or your, you know, AA coach or whomever, like, mm-hmm. like is supporting you in, in our interacting, like, yeah, it's accommodation. It's all accommodation, right? And we can yeah. accommodate, you know, people who, in our industry because it allows talented people to be there and it's not excluding folks. And I think it's just so important to create that environment. Um, totally. Yeah. yeah. And everything I do on a daily basis, whether that be like, doing the first distillation, doing a mash run, maybe bottling simultaneously, cleaning off barrels, hiking up barrel racks, not sure if they're going to come crashing down on me. Like these are all moments that I know, like those are moments where I'm like, I love my job. Like, this is why I work here. This is why, like, there's so many moments like that in one day, every single day. And never, never did I say that when I was super drunk. I was like, this is why I love my job. um, It was always like smelling the barrels, seeing like, or just smelling how complex the aging process can be. And I'm always willing to learn, you know, like you never, if you're good at anything, you never stop learning about that one thing I I like to believe. Um, So it's just, there's so much to it. And, um, you know, my grandfather, of course, before he passed, blah, blah, um, he told me that this is a good job to be in. He's like, there's, you know, so much you can do in this industry. Um, you know, he, he mostly speaks Spanish, but, you know, he's just like, you know, there's, you could drive a truck, you get clean, you could do all oh. sorts of stuff. And, and I'm just like, you're right. Like <laughs> there's solidarity and, um, being in the alcohol industry and there will always be alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and, I'm, all, I'm, yeah, go ahead. And I, and I think people think like, oh, well, you're in a distillery, you're around alcohol. I'm like, people who are sober out in the world are always around alcohol too. Like, right. It is everywhere. <laughs> right in front of their faces all the right. time. Right. Exactly. You go out to a restaurant, it's the first thing they hand you, um, you know, the, margarita menu I mean the first time I went out in my first two weeks of not drinking uh we 
I, I could stomach Mexican food and they handed me this most colorful, beautiful, vibrant looking menu of margaritas and daiquiris and stuff. And I was just like, holy crap, like, like that's why I, I drank. Like that looks really good. <laughs> and yeah. it always tastes really good. And but it's, so that's av- it's so available in the, totally. the yeah, I'm, I'm always kind of working to create like a, an environment where people can share, like if they aren't drinking and makes it okay and is really permissive and never pressury and, you yeah. know, like it's, it's sort of, you know, there's none of the macho kind of pressure that you have to be drinking or you have to be partying and I, you know, always or want the to other sure. way. Yeah, or a hundred percent. Do not have it in your mouth. Um, right, I've, right. I, I've, uh, I don't know. Unfortunately or fortunately, I've had certain people tell me that they couldn't even be around me because I smell like it, or, you know, I maybe I did. I, I put it in my mouth, and if I again, if I feel like it's too much, I spit it out. But that's too much for them, and so. Um, there it's a is, variety there are, of experience for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, some folks dig it, some people don't, whether you're on the sober or drinking spectrum. I just know I'm like smack down in the middle. So I'm just like really hoping people can just chill and like, let me believe that I'm sober because I'm definitely not drinking it. And um, I like to think I'm making better alcohol that way. I mean, of course, if you need it, um, I'm pretty sure my sense of taste and smell wasn't as great when I needed it, but there are times or recently I was harvesting some barrels um, in which where I made the alcohol itself when I was drinking and it was really good. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it worked out, but um, hopefully I was functional enough during the day to be able to do that, you know, and it's just like, I never wanted to be a liability. I never, I never wanted to like not be able to taste or smell like that is the best quality that I am fully confident about in myself is my sense of smell and taste. <laughs> and so I didn't want to ruin that. Right. I sobered up for many reasons, but ironically being a distiller, I sobered up for that. Like I wanted to be the best distiller that I could be by being sober. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. And it resonates and it's so true. And like, people think like we drink all day and yeah, I spit almost all my samples. Cause I'm going to be driving a forklift later guys. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, people don't understand how aware we are of alcohol and how it's around us. And like you said, it's, it's work. It's very, discipline. very different. Yeah. There's yeah. like discipline involved. Um, and cheers to those who can drink it and not do what I did and drink too much. So, I mean, accidents happen, you know, again, we're making something that could inebriate you so like yeah that that's what it is but gosh that warmth that alcohol has to offer in a tasting is very nice it, it complements any notes of like fruitiness nuttiness etc whatever you can offer um but I have been trying to find more na I guess non-alcoholic options to right. taste and smell uh I wasn't sure if it would be too triggery but I don't think it will be uh, again, I'm all in it for taste, um, smell, uh, you know, if you can create a complex, uh, like non-alcoholic drink, I think it's really cool. Um, I know some bartenders who don't like making mocktails, but I also know a lot of bartenders that do love making mocktails. And just because it's just fun to try and create something, um, 
that is just as good as a, uh, you know, like a mojito or something just without booze. Um, and it just, it's the community sense of being able to go out in public and hang out with your friends and have like a specially made drink that doesn't have booze in it is cool too. Um, I think that's what craft like bartending has to offer should be also being able to like, I don't know, create a really cool cocktail regardless if it has booze or not in it. Um, yeah, it makes something yeah. exciting for your guest, I think is the big one. And for me, yeah. like you said, like the, the anxiety factor is real. Having, you know, addiction and addicts be present in my life. Like if I have like a third drink, I start to get really anxious and I'm like, uh, like it's <laughs> very, very rare I'll ever have a third drink, much less go beyond that because the anxiety just gets to be too much. I'm so on guard. I'm so, so on guard against it. Um, yeah. And it's like not enjoyable for me at that point. The second I start to feel tipsy, like it brings up like memories and trauma. And I'm like, yeah, we're done here. <laughs> I'm like experiencing other people when they've been like inebriated in my life. Yeah. And um, so for me, it's like, I'm very, every other drink, like I'll get a club soda and bitters or, you know, a non-alcoholic yeah. cocktail and like, for me as someone who does even drink myself, like it's so important to have those things. Like, yeah. Cause yeah, I just can't, I can't do that. Like it won't, it's not even fun for me. And, and it's, you know, I always struggle with the challenge of like, it's really excited when a bartender is eager to show you what they're making and they hand you something and they want you to try it. But like, I also don't want to drink an entire glass of something like I didn't necessarily want. Like I think about that a lot and like yeah. <laughs> how to handle this in a classy and considerate way where right. it's like, I, I have kind of a rule, like I don't eat and drink anything I don't want to. And that includes like, if I'm like, I'm never going to go on some weird fad diet where I have to eat some like food units of blank. Cause I, I'm just not putting it in my mouth. If I'm not like, that's delicious. Like I'm just only going to eat or drink what I love. And like, yeah, same. Like exactly. if I'm not in the mood for it and I'm not craving it, like I really don't want to have be like sipping it down like that. Like it's just, it, it causes me so much anxiety. And I oh, love yeah. the bartenders who ask, like, are you in the mood for an alcoholic drink, et cetera. And it's just like, I can, I can sense it, you know, the people who maybe are familiar with like people's needs are asked. Like I always ask, like right now it's tax time and I want to send my tax accountant a bottle of spirits. And I'm like, Hey, do you drink? Is it okay if I send this to you? Like just even thinking that I do that now. Yeah, definitely. I never would have thought of that had I not had the life experiences I did. Right. Like that that some people just can't get a bottle of alcohol sent to their office. It's, it's not an okay thing for them. (laughs) So, Oh, you know, I'm glad I do that too. Um, I do the same thing. Uh, also, uh, what you, what you mentioned earlier that you only consume what you are in the mood for, or if you like it, um, then you might, you know, consume it or, and if you don't, you won't put it in your body. I've been more so on that notion with food. Uh, you know, if I'm not into it, if I'm not craving it, if it doesn't taste good, I'm not going to put it in my body again. Like my addiction goes farther than, um, you know, foods and, smoking and all that stuff I quit all that but like now I'm like disciplining myself on like how much food I can eat and like 
you know, in my stress eating, et cetera. So I, I've been really being super, like, I'm just super aware of what I put in my body now. <laughs> like, yeah. I love the just... book, uh, anti-diet by Christy Harrison. It's all about intuitive eating and it's like, write that down. yeah, it's like helped me heal a lot <laughs> in my brain. Cause especially like for me growing up, like a cis woman, like there's so many messages you receive, like you're not even making choices at a certain point. It's so compulsive and not at all natural. And so, yeah, anti-diet, yeah. Christy Harrison on intuitive anti-diet. eating. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Anti-diet. Yeah. Uh, since I started kind of doing that and just acting like it's a lifestyle rather than trying to research diets and like, you know, I never wanted to do the keto plan or anything like that. I just, I've actually lost weight. Like initially to quitting alcohol, I gained weight. Um, normally you're supposed to like just shed off pounds. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I started eating more donuts. Um, <laughs> and I substituted my cravings for sugar immediately. Um, yeah. Food is one so of I, the healthier coping mechanisms we have <laughs> granted. <but also>. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess long run, like for the long run, now I'm like losing weight again, uh, because now I'm like, I'm just only going to put what I want, like that I actually, find tasty and if I'm actually hungry and not just dehydrated in my mouth at that time um, instead of you know just finding comfort in consuming because that happens um so right. yeah so I don't know very I'm just cool. trying to make, yeah yeah that's very 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 cool I love that so yeah I really appreciate you taking your time to share with us about your experience and your perspective it means so much um Thank you. And, you know, maybe we should do, I feel like we need to do a part two where we could talk even more about some of your personal passion, self-development stuff that you really work hard in that, you know, goes so much far beyond distilling as well. Wow. Like, I mean, I guess uh, that means a lot. I don't know. I don't see it like that, but I think everyone has a mission in life to be good to themselves and be great at whatever they want to do and you know no pressure but like yeah we're all individuals on a path and like you could interview everyone no (laughs) Ah, I love it I love it well thank you so much and stay safe you too thank you very much cheers cheers Thank you guys so much for joining us today and thank you Beck for being willing to share your experience with us. You know, one person being willing to share what they're going through, you never know how it can help inform other people. And so thank you, thank you for taking your time and your energy and being open with us. I know that one person sharing their experience doesn't speak for everyone, but I'm thankful for you today for sharing with us. So everyone stay safe, stay healthy. Hopefully, you know, vaccines are rolling out and we're all taking care of each other. So we will see you guys soon. I've got a couple of really great podcasts coming up. I'm really excited about, um, and we should be getting them out more regularly on Mondays now for you. So enjoy, stay safe.